The early church experienced explosive growth. Peter preached his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. 5,000 more believers were added when he preached his second sermon. But all was not right. Deception crept into the church through a good deed done with bad intentions. Ananias and Sapphira lied about a donation they made to the church. Because they lied to God, not man, the sobering judgment of God fell upon them. A much-needed correction took place in the early church, but not in a way that hindered the plan of God. On the contrary, purged of sin, the church continued to grow in the fear of the Lord. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Hello, and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian. Thanks for tuning in. Today, Ron takes us once again to the shocking story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's a sobering look at the way God may sometimes deal with disobedience. And it comes your way next as Ron continues his teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on your schedule. Download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get yours. From Acts chapter 5, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, Money, Lies, and the Fear of God. As we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Although the primary reason the judgment of God fell and the correction came was not that they were lacking in generosity, it was because they lied. Although that's the primary reason, uh, there is a lesson in generosity here because of the relationship to the, the Barnabas story here. There's a second lesson, though, I think we can learn from this, and that is that integrity matters. This was the primary reason that judgment fell upon Ananias and Sapphira. Not, not because they, they should have brought all of the proceeds, but because they lied about what they brought. And, and, and God doesn't put up with such things. Peter said to Ananias in verse 3, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? You have not lied to man, you've lied to God. I mean, Peter just elevates uh, the seriousness of what had happened here. Like Barnabas, Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property. Like Barnabas, they sold that piece of property. Barnabas brought the proceeds in full. That was his choice. There was no obligation to bring all of it. Ananias and Sapphira sold the piece of property, brought the proceeds to the apostles, and made them believe that here was the price that they sold it for, and they brought all of the proceeds. The reality was, no, they sold it for a much higher price and brought only a portion. Now, there was no obligation for them to bring all of it, or any of it for that matter. Giving in the New Testament is voluntary. It should be a voluntary response of our faith and, 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 and our response to the generosity of God and the and, and the uh, grace of God in our lives. But there was no obligation for them to sell this piece of property and bring all of the proceeds. 
But when they did, they said, boy, we, we, we want some of the accolades that Barnabas got. And they lied about it. And Peter says, you're not lying to me. You're not lying to all your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. You're lying to God. And we don't stand for that around here. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my professors reminded us many, many times that ministry is a character business. It's a character business. And, and it, it made all of us just kind of, you know, press the pause button a little bit and say, you know, can, can I really enter into this thing? You, you can go be a, a, a widget seller or get, be in some kind of a business out there be, and be a scoundrel. You know, just kind of walking carefully the, the line between something that is illegal and unethical, you know. You, you, never, you never fall into the illegal side, but boy, you, know, you just wonder how ethical this is. And you can do your business that way and be successful and make a lot of money and be just fine, not in the, not in the ministry. It's a character business first. Whether you're vocationally in the ministry as I am or whether you're a volunteer in the church, it's all a character business. And integrity matters. Integrity, character, yes, competence. I, I, I could hire somebody or find a volunteer who has great character but no competence, and there, there's, there's one problem you have there. Or you have the opposite, somebody, you know, with uh, great competence but lacking in character. Boy, that's a train wreck waiting to happen, okay? It's a character business, and integrity matters. Uh, not perfection, because none of us is perfect, right? But a person of integrity deals honestly with his mistakes, uh, with his sin, um, keeps short accounts with God in confessing his sin and repenting of it. And this is the example that we even have in the Old Testament with King David. And we're all familiar with David's shortcomings, right? But Asaph, one of the other psalmists, writes this about David, Psalm 78 and verse 73, so David shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them with his skillful hands. There's character and there's competence. Boy, that's, that's when you know you got a leader, uh, whether it's a paid staff member or a volunteer, when you have both character and competence, you've got, a, you've got a, a winning combination there. And we're all growing. David made his mistakes, but the New Testament assessment looking back on David was that he was a man after God's own heart. You say, how can that be with the whole Bathsheba thing? Because eventually he dealt honestly with his sins, he was forthright about it, and, and, and he, you know, he took his consequences as it were, and he got right with God and confessed his sins and not a perfect man, but a blameless man. A blameless person is somebody who deals honestly with his sins. And, and this is how we maintain our integrity, okay? That's an important lesson here. Ananias and Sapphira lied. And this was the beginning of something great in the local church. And if the Lord looked the other way on this, uh, there's no telling uh, how, how that would have eventually corrupted of the entire church. Here's a third lesson that I jotted down this week, and that is that the devil is always looking for an opportunity to attack. Uh, notice back again in verse 3, uh, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? 
Isn't it interesting that Peter introduces the devil into the mix here? Peter's seeing with spiritual eyes. He's seeing what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not one another. It's not a physical person. Uh, But we wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. Uh, Peter saw this as an attack on the church from a dark spiritual realm, from Satan himself. And it's just a reminder to all of us that the devil is always, always looking for an opportunity to attack. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he has you in his crosshairs and your family. And he has this church and he has me and all of our volunteers, all of our pastors, all of our leaders. He's looking for an opportunity. And he's always collecting opposition research on us. He knows our weaknesses. He's not omniscient, but he's been around for a long time, and he practices his craft. Uh, The Bible tells us to be aware of the schemes and the strategies of the devil. Well, one of the things he does is he collects opposition research on us and then waits for just the perfect time to attack. This happened with Jesus. Remember when he went out into the wilderness Uh, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights prior to launching his public ministry. And at the end of that 40-day period of time, the Bible says he was hungry. That's when the devil shows up. And he tempted him in three different ways. And every time, you know, Jesus said, no, it is written, it is written, it is written. He dealt with that temptation by pulling out his sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he defeated the devil in all three of those temptations. And then the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. He's opportunistic that way, always looking for the right opportunity to attack. And and this is why we need to be sober. We need to be watchful. We need to be vigilant. Even when everything is going great in the church and you feel like you're in a bull market, spiritually speaking, wow, you look around, everything's wonderful. The fellowship is sweet, lots of people coming, boom, the devil attacks. And this is what happens in the early church. 3,000 people come to know Jesus on the day of Pentecost. 5,000 people the next time Peter preaches, boom, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. And it's a sobering moment. It's a correction the Lord brings to the church. And you just have to, you have to remind yourself, the devil's always looking for those opportunities. Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good radio message with Dr. Ron Jones. Something new is happening at Something Good. At somethinggoodradio.org, we just released a brand new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television, or what we're calling SGTV. There, you'll also find Something Good Travel, Something Good Courses, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Watch, listen, and download for free, and when it's convenient for you. That and a lot more is available now at somethinggoodradio.org. 
All of this is only possible because of your faithful financial support. And remember, when you send a special gift today, we'll say thank you with a gift of our own, the complete audio download of the series that you're hearing now, AD Acts of the Apostles. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices 757-276-1099. Now here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Money, Lies, and the Fear of God. The fourth and final lesson is this. God is holy and He is deserving of our reverence. We, we call that reverence the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Uh, twice in these verses, it uh, references this. Latter part of verse 7, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And then the end of uh, this little section, verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Yeah, fear because they're like, wow, this is a sobering moment to see these two dead bodies walked out of the church. What happened? And they begin chatting about it. But also I take this to mean that the fear of the Lord came upon the people. When the Lord disciplines us, when He corrects us, it's not out of anger. It is because He is a holy God. And and to be holy spiritually is to be healthy spiritually. And if there's any unholy, irrational exuberance in our lives or in the church, He's going to correct it. He's a holy God. And He says, be holy as I am holy. You you can't continue in this way and be healthy spiritually. We've got to be holy. And He's a holy God deserving of our respect. And that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's that awesome respect we have for God and who He is and how He's revealed Himself in Scripture and the commands He gives us an awesome respect that we have for Him such that it changes the way we live. Uh, rather than going this way, oh, you know, we, we, we repent and we, we turn the other way. Um, and the Bible says over and over again in many places that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, later in uh, Acts chapter um, 9, I believe it is, it says, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied, okay? God's blessing will fall upon a church that fears Him and respects Him and what He has revealed of Himself in Scripture. Shouldn't surprise us really that this correction happens. You know, again, a sophisticated investor in Wall Street knows that even in a bull market, the corrections will come. That's normal and natural, even in, you know, a bull market. And it's really normal and natural when, when God is doing something new and something big. You go back into the Old Testament when they completed the first tabernacle. Uh, Leviticus chapter 10 tells us there was a correction that took place. They had finished the building of the tabernacle. They were getting ready to worship. Two of Aaron's sons, Aaron was the first high priest. He was the brother of Moses. And two of his sons, Nadab and Abihu, come to that first worship experience. And the Bible says they brought what's called strange fire. We don't know exactly what strange fire was, but it was some kind of unholy exuberance that those two young boys brought, and the Lord killed them, wiped them out right there. The death 
of Aaron's sons who worshiped the Lord in some unholy way at the first worship service of the brand new opening of the tabernacle. We're going to correct that right now, the Lord said. And then do you remember the time when the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River into the promised land? Joshua was leading this, and they begin to overtake some of the cities. One of the largest ones was Jericho. And they march around the city of Jericho those seven times, and on the seventh day they marched seven times and shouted, and there was this great victory when the walls of Jericho come down. And then a chapter or two later, they go up against this little city over here called Ai. And Joshua says, oh, we don't need to take the entire army up there. It's just a tiny little city up there. So they took a, you know, a, a smaller army. They go up there, and, and they get their pants beaten off. You know, they're just, they're just obliterated by the little army of Ai. And Joshua and the guys come back, and he's kind of got his tail between his legs, and the Lord's saying, get up off the ground, Joshua. You know, why, why are you, you know, crying out and bellyaching to me? And what they learn is there was a guy named Achan who had, who had stolen some of the items in Jericho that were not to be taken, and he hid them in his tent. There was sin in the camp. And the Lord says, that's why you went up to Ai and you were defeated. Okay, and the story of Achan, they stoned him. I mean, it's just, it's a sobering moment. I mean, anybody would just say, wow. I mean, the Lord was pretty severe in all of this. He's a holy God. He is holy. He is righteous and deserving of our respect. If he says when you go up to Jericho, don't take any of the spoil for your own, that doesn't mean take a little bit for yourself. And the Lord, the Lord says what he says, and he means what he says. And sometimes a correction needs to happen. It happened when they built the first tabernacle. It happened when they crossed over into the promised land. It happened as the early church began. When the Lord's about to do something big, a little correction might come. And that happens in your life individually, in your family individually, in mine individually. It happens corporately in a church as well. Is it a time to believe if it happens? Wow, uh, this, this is all over. Uh, we're in a bear market. Everything's going, you know, down, 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 down. No. You know what I've discovered in more than two decades of ministry? God's church is resilient, incredibly resilient. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail it against it. Oh, the devil will look for an opportunity to attack, yes, but he won't prevail. He may win a war or a battle, but he's not going to win the war. Jesus said, I will build my church. Not I will build your church, not you will build my church, but I will take full responsibility for building my church, and I will do it my way. And sometimes, as a good, good father, like an earthly father lovingly corrects his children, sometimes he corrects his own children uh, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what's happening in Acts chapter 5. doesn't mean the church is over, much to the contrary. Now the church is better prepared to go into the future. And beyond Acts chapter 5, we find the church growing and multiplying because great fear has come upon them, great respect for God and who He is and what He has said in His Word. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 does say, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 12, 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship 
with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And a lot of times we don't like to hear that. You know, as uh, believers in Jesus, we want to hear that He's a good, good God who loves us but is never going to correct us, never going to discipline us. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not even a good earthly father. A good earthly father will see something that his or her child or his child is doing that's wrong and will correct that child, discipline that child, and lead that child forward in love. And this is what God does to His church, even through this story of Ananias and Sapphira. And for me, this little story about money, lies, and the fear of God is just a reminder again, this is His church. He will build His church. He will build it His way and on His terms. And we do best when we follow in obedience to Him and uh, when we respect Him and, 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 and fear the Lord. Uh, it's the beginning of wisdom and it's the beginning of great things that happen in our lives individually and in our families and in the church as well. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, Money, Lies, and the Fear of God. And Ron, this is such a sobering story, and in some ways, a confusing story. I'm curious as to your thoughts on the severity of the punishment. Why would God go to such extreme measures in this particular case? Brian, the first thing I'll say is that we don't have all the information necessary to answer that question with any real certainty. Nor do we know the mind of God as it pertains to this particular case. What we do know is that Ananias and Sapphira lied to God about the proceeds from the sale of their property, and they died as a result. Now, given the whole of Scripture, we can make an educated guess about God's punishment in this case. But again, let me be clear. God did not see fit to give us a full explanation of his reasoning, and he's not obligated to. With that said, let me offer this as a potential explanation, because you're right, Brian, the punishment seems uh, punitive. If God killed every person who lied, there would be few, if any, people left on earth. The question is, why did he do so here? Well, there is a similar story in Joshua chapter 7, and there is one remarkable parallel in the two stories. God had told the Israelites that when they entered Jericho, the promised land, they were not to take any of the spoils. In other words, don't loot the place. However, Achan disobeyed, and he paid the price for it with his life. What we see in both of these accounts is that they occurred in the midst of new beginnings. In Achan's case, Israel had just entered the Promised Land. In the case of Ananias and Sapphira, the people of God had just entered the church age. This is a critical point to consider because we can reasonably assume that the punishment in both cases was more about the timing of the offense than it was the offense itself. God was very likely setting a clear tone for what he wanted the nation of Israel to become and what he wanted the church to become. Let me close with this in the interest of time. A critical point to consider here in Acts is the response of the people, the end result, we might say. And here the result is that the church continued to thrive. The people had a healthy awe and fear of God, and it didn't stifle the growth of the church. In fact, it had the opposite effect. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts from his message, Money, Lies, 
and the fear of God. Well, Ron, the clock is ticking, so what can you tell us about tomorrow's broadcast when you'll be moving ahead in your series, A.D., Acts of the Apostles? You know, Brian, when you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, you might think to yourself, well, this is going to really put a damper on the growth of the church. Now, to be clear, the Bible does not say God struck the couple dead. It merely says they died. But anyone there would have almost certainly thought that either Peter or God literally killed them. It was a sad and sobering event in church history, and one might think that would stop any momentum the early church had. And yet the exact opposite happened. I'll elaborate on this a little more next time as I move ahead in my series A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Join us then for Something Good as Dr. Ron Jones shares this message, Obeying God, Not Man. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.